Good evening, Mr. Hunt. Are you sure your line is secure? I got it. Oh, man, do I get it. Central Intelligence Cinema now has a secure line to the IMF. Benji? Join the IMF. See the world on a monitor. In a closet. That doesn't sound impossible. Next time, I gotta seduce the rich guy. What are you waiting for? I'm jumping out a window! Well, this is not mission difficult, Mr. Hunt. It's mission impossible. Difficult should be a walk in the park for you. Central Intelligence Cinema presents Road to Reckoning. You can understand you're very upset. Kittredge, you've never seen me upset. Sir, Hunt is the living manifestation of destiny. The state will self-destruct in five seconds. Welcome to episode 45 of the Central Intelligence Cinema Podcast. We're on the road to reckoning, except that we've gotten down the road a little bit longer than we had anticipated for this first trip down the road. Today, Ben and I are going to kick things off by finishing up with part two of our review of Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. And with that being said, take it away, Mr. Prosden. Beg your pardon, forgot to knock. <laughs> Welcome to the CIC, initiating security clearance. My name is Napoleon Solo. Bond. James Bond. Natasha Romanoff. You can not. Looks like Elsa Faust. Identity confirmed. Now, pay attention, 007. Welcome to Central Intelligence Cinema, a podcast dedicated to spy movies and secret agent pop culture. Your mission, should you decide to accept it. Do you expect me to talk? I'm in the middle of an interrogation. This moron is giving me everything. Yeah, baby! Special agent, you're not having a very special day, are you? But remember, nothing ever goes according to plan. Tom, what do you think you're The British hand up, sir. The state will self-destruct in five seconds. Recording from an undisclosed train car with an over-elaborate security system, it's the Central Intelligence Cinema Podcast. <laughs> I'm Ben Esslinger, and with me, as should always be the case, my good friend, Jason Greenberg. Thank you, Ben. Thank you, Ben. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Central Intelligence Cinema Podcast, where the Dante and Randall of podcasting for silly spy shit is happening right before your very ears. That is correct. That is correct. <laughs> and we're back at the undisclosed location. We are back at the undisclosed the location after a slight hiccup with uh, some sort of criminally engineered potential virus exposure. Um, we discovered that everybody came through fine. The roses were not blooming, as it were. It doesn't mean that I had measles um, but uh, or was in threat of having measles. I'm just trying to reference a movie that some of you will get and some of you will not. That is my shtick, after all. Uh, but no, we're actually here to uh, kick off the second part of our review of Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol, not to be confused with Mission Impossible Four, if you call it Mission Impossible Four, Tom Cruise might go into full assassination mode, and his programming will overtake him and kill all of us. Indeed, indeed. Well, should we get into uh, part two of our uh, first tier of the Road to Reckoning? We absolutely should. So, when last we left our our heroes and heroine, yes. uh, we were uh, chasing bad guys through a sandstorm that nobody 
even noticed was happening in, in Dubai. And, yeah, and made no preparations for nope, nope. whatsoever. We're still just, selling in the street vendors. Yeah, We're just, driving our convertible cars. It's, it's fine. It's fine. It's, it's fine. just that's how things happen. That's how they do things. Yes, yes. You have to remember, everybody in the world is different than that's, everybody else in the world. That's right. Um, but Ethan successfully is unsuccessful, uh, except that running in the sand with his goggles on, Hendrix gets away, and uh, we cut to some random room uh, where our uh, Impossible Mission Force people are hanging out. Brant is losing his shit at Jane for killing Sabine, although it was kind of unavoidable. I mean, she kind of had to, really, uh, I mean, really, during the fight. I mean, because at that point, Sabine had just grabbed the gun. Yes. And the only way to stop her is to... Absolutely. Give her the boot. I, it, it was nothing about being personal or kicking her out of window. Okay, maybe it was a little bit personal. <laughs> maybe a little kicking bit. Kicking her out of the But obviously, the situation wasn't going to be contained because Benji was the one who caused it, and Benji was the only one in there that was going to do anything about it. So out goes to being out the window. Whee! Still the biggest crime in the movie. Um, <laughs> meanwhile, uh, Ethan is just splashing water on himself and doing that thing where he's trying to figure all this shit out in his head. All the tumblers are rolling. The numbers would be floating in front of his eyes if he was Sherlock Holmes in his mind palace. Uh, but uh, as he's doing all this, he gets a phone call, and he finally gets the meeting that he wanted from back at the train car headquarters. So whoever was on the other end of the phone has finally come back and said he's delivering the goods. Exactly. So Ethan then gets ready to walk out, uh, presumably to meet whoever this contact is, is talking on the phone. Yeah. And then Jane and Brant start laying into Benji about how it is his fault that the Russians caught up to them in Dubai. Yeah, because he must have laid some sort of tracks digitally that... That they could follow to get to where they were at. Yeah, for sure. And they also are mad at him that Sabine was able to disarm him so easily. But have you met Leia Sadu? She's so disarming anyway. She is very disarming. She's so, a disarming woman. How can you blame <laughs> Benji for being disarmed I mean, by her? It, with, at the angle that he was looking at her and her sitting down, I'm just saying... Disarmed. Disarmed. Disarmed is <laughs> forewarned. <laughs> anyway, Ethan interrupts and goes after Brant calling him out as a fact that you were apparently much more than just an analyst yeah. that you're claiming to be and wanting to know what exactly what was going on. It becomes a fight and it's like basically proving, it's like you are clearly not just... Right, you have some skills. Yeah. You have some Liam Neeson level Avenger skills. Are you an Avenger? <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe not. He's not saying for sure. But uh, as he's doing this, he gets another text and then he tells the team that he's meeting a friend and he'll have someone get the three of them out of where they're at in Dubai and to wherever they need to go next, I'm assuming. Yeah. Um, essentially, he's applying he's going to go after Hendrix alone at this point. Y'all right. are fuck-ups. I don't want to deal with you anymore. Right. This uh. is kind of that like moment in the in any sports movie where nobody's getting along and they haven't just they haven't quite figured out how to get to right. get along and they're all yeah. Everybody's right. mad. You know, the one kid doesn't get cancer or, <laughs> you know, there's a horrific accident and gets paralyzed. Right. There's no rallying point for the team yet. Right. So they're all just the Mighty Ducks at the beginning of Mighty Ducks 1. <laughs> Not the Mighty Ducks from Mighty Ducks 3 who have really gelled into a team, but have to overcome right. adversity outside <laughs> of the hockey rink. Exactly. So we go into uh, where Ethan is meeting his friend or whomever's on the other end of the phone. Um, And there's kind of a weird start to this one because uh, the intent of this scene was for Ethan to meet up with Max from 
the from, first the first Mission Impossible movie right. as an arms dealer, which is what she was, and to have him meet the same tall blonde dude and yeah. have him put the same black bag over his head that they used the first Mission movie. Yeah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> which which was it is funny having that background information about what they intended to do, and they just sort of kept all that in because this was clearly an eleventh hour forced change because right. they just couldn't get. Vanessa Redgrave over the the, the line. The million dollar hump. The million dollar line, yeah. Yeah, and you know, it, it's hilarious. How, that would have been so much better a scene because you would have had Cruz playing the whole exasperated, yeah, we've been here before card. Mm-hmm. You know, like, uh, uh, yeah, okay, uh, yeah, all right, fine. What? No, y'all, right. Yes, that too, that too. And given the humor that was kind of being conveyed in this movie, not only would have been a nice callback, but it would have actually been more of a solid comedy moment because of the callback factor of it. Yes. So it's it's a shame that it's, they, they couldn't get that figured out. Yeah, because it really takes the wind out of the sails. Yeah, but, you know, yeah, but. the guy did an admirable job. Yeah, yeah. For what, you know, I mean. Oh, the guy that played the fog. Yeah, or they whatever. played the fog. And why the fog? I don't even remember if they reference his name at all. I don't feel like because I, I knew it was the fog from looking at IMDb. I'm like, what is the only, a fog? Exactly. That's the only reason why I knew what his name was I mean, was because I had the, to look it up. Did he play it in the Jane John Carpenter movie? <laughs> is it about him it's been a long time since i watched it i guess i'll have to look at imdb again yeah anyway so ethan gets let in hood the whole nine yards whatever we need to have so we cut back to the rest of the team and we get the uh, kind of the branch story the whole explanation about why he's a badass that wasn't being a badass anymore right and what it essentially turns out to be is that he was assigned to be on a production production detail for a husband and wife and he was unable to protect the wife. The husband left and the wife was attacked. And by the time he was able to get down there, she was dead. Right. Well, didn't he, Brant, for whatever reason that morning, decided to follow the husband and left two guys to watch after the wife. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. then when he got back, then the wife was dead and yada, yada. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he still blamed himself because he was a protecting a protection detail. Right. And in the process of going through all of the story, he basically says, well, this is Ethan and his wife. Um, this explains why the wife is missing because the wife is dead, or is she? And right. um, and, and even the and guilt that he's carrying because he felt responsible for protecting both of them right. and wasn't able to protect either of them. Right now, Benji does sort of hint at the fact that she might still be alive because he was like, "I thought, I thought they just broke up, or whatever. yeah, that they got divorced." Yeah, right. Because that was the rumor. He was establishing that was kind of the rumor right. that was going around. Nobody had an idea that she was dead, right. which I think he bought completely into. Yeah. Which was the point, as we'll find out later. Because right now, she, like Schrodinger's cat, is alive and dead <laughs> at the same time. We then also find out that shortly thereafter, Ethan went off the grid and six Serbians ended up disappearing after he went off the grid which may be the quote-unquote unsanctioned hit that we discussed uh, earlier in the this particular movie from the last episode. Yes. Um, so, uh, yeah, we get a little bit of backstory. And Jeremy Renner really sells it or tries to sell it, mm-hmm. but it's so not fitting in a movie of where they were at at this point in time. Well, yeah, that's the problem I had with this whole area is that you know, we just got done with two massive set pieces and then to try and load this giant emotional story right now. Right. Nobody's going to be listening. I'm barely, you know what I mean? Like right. nobody's going to be able to handle something that heavy or. Well, no, particularly and, since we're going into the end game of the movie. Right. You know, and so this would have, should have been something that should have been 
relegated to the train scene, I think. Absolutely. If he would have been on the train, if there would have been some sort of quiet time. Yeah. Not not immediately following the two biggest scenes in the whole movie. Well, the problem was that they were building up to that reveal. Yeah. Right? So it was a surprise. And there's not really a good place to put that. Yeah. The unless, only- unless you... Unless, it was Brant confessing to Benji alone, mm-hmm. or Brant confessing to Jane alone, and swearing her to secrecy so that Ethan didn't know, which Benji wouldn't have flown with. But Jane, he might have been able to be like, you know, you've lost somebody that was close to you. She wasn't close to me, but, you know, it was an important assignment. There, there are ways to do it. I think it would have been too convoluted to try and get it in any other way. Yeah. I just, it feels bad to me that he put in such a pretty strong performance for this that in a movie that it was tailored for. Right. Would have had way more impact than it actually was. Yeah. I feel like they should have softballed it a little more. Not not because he isn't capable of doing a heavy acting scene. He totally is. It just wasn't, it didn't feel appropriate for the where the movie was at. Right. Or maybe even what type of movie it was going to be. Yeah. You know, so, but I mean, you can't complain. The acting was great. You get the thing. You understand why he's sad and kind of, you know, uh, was kind of reserved reserved, and, and kind of keeping that to himself. Because, you know, I would be terrified, too, if I thought maybe Ethan Hunt would be mad at me for his wife being dead. Yeah. <laughs> Not going to lie. Just possibly. I don't know. <laughs> right. So <laughs> the Serbian hit is essentially the reason what we figure out why Ethan was in the prison. Right. But Ethan was in the prison. What we find out is that the hit... He did the hit to get into the prison in the first place for right. a completely different reason. Exactly. So well, who knows if he even actually did the hit or whether right. or whether he they just, just put him in they laid the blame on him so they could put him in the prison to so that the whole illusion is complete. Exactly. Yeah. Because we all know he's so much more comfortable being a rogue agent <laughs> than he is just being a regular agent since he seems to be a rogue agent in everything he does. Well, rogue is all the rage. I guess. I mean, <laughs> we all don't get to be James Bond and just stay that guy normally and not have to go rogue. But Well, Daniel Craig went rogue on like half of his mission. This so. is true. This is true. <laughs> but only after watching Ethan Hunt be rogue for as much as Ethan Hunt was rogue. That's so, true. Uh, That's true. Anyway, so... <laughs> we we get through this little scene, fade to black. The mask comes off and we get to meet the fog, but not before we get to see Bogdan again, who is super happy to see Sergey. 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 Oh, so it turns out that the guy on the phone was Bogdan, who had managed to arrange the meeting between Ethan and the fog, a mysterious fog. arms dealer that should have been Vanessa Redgrave, but wasn't. Yes. So maybe he's the fog because it's you want to think it's Vanessa Redgrave, but you can't see her through the fog. <laughs> anyway, Ethan gets his attention by mentioning how uh, nuclear war is not the kind of war that's good for business. Yeah, you know this is after there. The, you have to have the little good guy sniffing the maybe other bad guy out, right? Tete a tete, back and forth, and then Ethan points out to him that yeah, sure, selling guns and everything is good for business and whatever else, but nuclear war is not so great, and it does get the guy's attention. Yeah. You know, Russians and Americans have a particular thing for nuclear war um, <laughs> that I think grabs all of our attention. So, uh, yeah. uh, <laughs> so in the process of discussing, you know, what Ethan is looking for, or what he needs, he needs to find out. He knows that there's a communication satellite, an old communication satellite 
from Russia that's being used to potentially broadcast these missile codes to launch the missile that Hendrix wants to get out there and start World War III with, which I don't know why you're only going to launch one, but whatever. (laughs) And this guy has the information to kind of tell him what the satellite is, where it's gone to, who it got sold to, that kind of thing like that. And he says, you know, if you help me out, my friends become your friends. And so the fog kind of is like, okay, uh, and this is where this we is get, where we get the I'm not going to tell you what you need to know while telling you everything you need to know kind of thing. You know, yeah, the you shouldn't do this, but that's exactly, exactly. what you should do. Yeah, I can't tell you possibly tell you where I sold this old Russian uh, satellite to, and I couldn't possibly tell you to start looking for a broadcast company in India owned by this guy over here, and I certainly wouldn't be able to give you the information <laughs> to blah 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 blah. And uh, again, here we are. The part two of this, and I still can't think of any other movie to reference it, even though I know <laughs> there are other movies that are in it. Maybe right. somebody could mention that to us out there in listener land. Yes. Because uh, I know you're all you're all probably yelling right now, it's this movie. <laughs> you're an idiot. Because <laughs> I know I do that when I know the answer on other podcasts that I listen to. <laughs> but uh, Fog gives them all the information to get to that old tactical satellite so that they have a place to start looking for Hendrix again. Uh, at, towards the end of it, he basically told Ethan that this is not something he can do alone because of the complexity of what the situation right. is. Which is sort of his hint that I'm going to give you a really cool jet and some gear. Right. So call your cavalry. And I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you do this thing. To stop the nuclear thing. Yes. <laughs> it's very nice of him to do that. Um, and so, yep, we're, we're getting ready to go in there to uh, wrap this whole thing up in Act 3. So, Act 3, the final mission. Should you choose to accept it? Should you choose to accept it? It's the fourth one. It's the fourth mission. The fourth mission of Mission Impossible (laughs) 4. And you've come through us this far. That's right. So, why don't you stick around for the rest of it? That's right. So, cut to a new day, and uh, the IMF team rolls up to this very fancy private jet. P.S. And by the way, in this shot, you can see Mr. Cruz's actual personal jet. Really? Yes. The uh, the fog has provided this fancy private jet, and Ethan says that they have one more chance to stop Hendrix so long as they work together. All right, Mighty Ducks, Woo! let's we got to work together. Let's do it. So I have faith. Let's. <laughs> so the fog is basically the kid with the broken spine. Yeah. <laughs> Way to go, fog. Thanks, fog. <laughs> Oh, and then we get this great funny line from uh, Benji's like, cool jet. And then <laughs> Ethan's like, wait till you see the car. <laughs> so so then uh, we get this interesting cut to a doctor's office. Very nice doctor's office, actually, by the way. Lots, mm-hmm. lots of windows. Mm-hmm. Fancy. But uh, Sidorov is getting some uh, medical attention after, you know, being accosted by Ethan right before Ethan took off after uh, Wistrom in the sandstorm, getting his nose fixed. Right. <laughs> and uh, he gets a phone call from the fog, and the fog lets him know that uh, he can give him information on both the stolen nuclear device and Ethan's whereabouts. If uh, you can just forget about this one little thing that you keep chasing me around for. Right. If you could just, you It's know. a little bit of tit for tat. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Your friends become my friends. <laughs> I just learned this from other guys. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, you know, if Sidorov stands down from hunting him... You'll give him the information. You'll give him the information. Right. So cut to the, uh, the jet and uh, all aboard... Uh, 
flight exposition. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this the, is the, uh, ex, the exposition three. Uh, <laughs> this is flight EX one seven zero five northbound airbound for exposition and all additional plot points. That's right. So on the plane ride to uh, Mumbai, also holy bad green screen set Batman. Mm-hmm. That was one of the few areas in this movie where I was like, oh, that's. This is clearly a set, and that is window definitely has green over it. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> I'll, I'll allow it. it was, that, that probably was one of the subcontractors, not ILM themselves, right? Well, I wouldn't be surprised, too, if this was something where they were like, okay, we still need to fill in the audience on what is happening now. We're, we're just going to shoot this in a shitty back lot somewhere. Right, just right. <laughs> put the green screen up and hope that it works. <laughs> so... Uh, anyway, so Ethan is explaining that the telecom owner is a uh, Nath, a Playboy multimedia tycoon. So that's who they have to intercept. And Nath controls the Novosti satellite, which is what Hendrix intends to use to contact, in this case, a submarine to launch a nuke. Right. So they basically have to get the code from Nath to shut the satellite down one way or another. Hint, uh-huh. hint, Agent Carter uh-huh. or Jane. So, uh, no, not that Agent Carter, not that Agent Carter, just Jane. Yes, so, uh, Jane, put on your best dress, girl. Yeah, <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> but we do get this nice little moment with Ethan and Jane. Jane's sort of feeling insecure after losing her shit and, and just sort of letting her emotions get run away with her, and she kills Sabine. Although, I again, you yeah, know, I, it's kind of what she had to do. Yeah, I, yeah. I feel. I mean, yes. Was it the opportunity to, to subdue her without doing it? Probably. Probably. But obviously, they, they'd been spending a lot of time fighting. You know, the editors don't want to have to sit there and <laughs> cut that down to something reasonable. Right. She's like, you know what? If this was a movie, we would need to wrap this up right now. And so she just did it in case it was a movie. She didn't know. <laughs> she didn't know she was she, in a movie. She didn't know she was in a movie. She didn't know that this was like God making a spy movie. So she was trying to get in good graces, I suppose. Exactly. So, but then also on this plane ride, we get this really fun scene where Benji tells Brant about the plan to manually tap into the central server in order to shut the satellite down. And uh, using this super neato tiny rover magnet thing and then this accompanying vest that (laughs) will let Brant hover over it at varying heights. Right. And then move with the little rover as it moves because it's it, it's weird it's I, I mean sure I'll buy it I buy it it's you know fine. It, he I'm was sure wearing a me- thing that's wearing close. a metal suit yeah generate an electromagnetic field that's right polarities push things apart that's right I think my biggest problem with this whole thing was it doesn't really stop inertia <laughs> yeah so even though it's floating him when the little cart thing stopped, he should have kept going forward. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. And it could be wrong. Well, it could like he could be moving forward a little bit when it stops, but maybe like it slows uh, well, down. Well, unless technically it's pulling him. But if it was pulling him magnetically, it wouldn't be a magnetic field that was floating him. Look, I <laughs> I'm not a physicist. I know enough physics stuff from science fiction to just be dangerous to ask stupid <laughs> questions like this. And from what they were trying to do, I get it. Mm-hmm. I I I've seen things in, in catalogs, you know, where they have spaceships floating in, in yeah. midair because they're using magnets. Right. But in the whole moving people with metal suits around, I d I don't know if I buy it. But uh, if James Bond can jump off of a sled in an oil pipe 
at 80 miles an hour <laughs> and just tumble twice and be fine, I can go ahead and assume that yeah. Hawkeye in metal armor can float on a little floaty cart made of magnets. <laughs> That's right. So to do this, though, Brant has to jump down into a computer array where Benji will quote-unquote catch him using the little rover. And don't forget to mention the fan. The fan. the Yeah, the fan that's between the rover and Brant. Right. So <laughs> he has to... And it's pointy, too. Right, there's a little pointy tip at the top for no apparent reason. (laughs) Right, other than to be much more threatening. Right, it's like the chompers in Galaxy Quest. Why are these even here? (laughs) So, and just the look from Renner as he looks at this floating vest and just the skepticism on his face. And basically the premise is that Benji will navigate the rover and then essentially tow Brant to the relay room where he can then jack into the panel and put in the code that Jane obtains. Obtains, yes. Obtains from Bruce An excellent word for it, thank you. (laughs) Yes. Oh, that's the other thing. He's like, Brant's all scared about doing this whole thing and Benji's just sort of, you know, again, casting it aside like... And I catch you. Yeah. I don't... Why is that so hard to grasp? Well, why? It's it's a 25-foot drop. I'd be more worried about the heat. And then there's that. What heat? Well, it's like any computer, isn't it? If you switch off the fan, it's going to get really hot. <laughs> of course. Relatively, you know. Of course it will. So I'm, I'm jumping into uh, uh, an oven, essentially. Yeah, essentially. You know, it's at that point you kind of wish Benji was like, Oh, I'm sorry, did you have to scale up 11 stories on the world's tallest building right. and then swing in and hit your head on the window on the way back in? I think you got this, bro. Right. I'm glad that it's fun in this movie that they have Benji be this way, but I'm glad that he evolves. Yes. When you go into Rogue Nation, when you go into Fallout, he's not that guy anymore. And I appreciate that they were clearly conscious of that. Right. So anyway, we cut to Mumbai and we get this freakishly gorgeous shot of Mumbai at dusk, I'm guessing. And we see this big fancy palace, which, if I remember correctly, isn't even in Mumbai. But anyway, uh, <laughs> I digress. Movie magic. Movie magic. So it's this big lavish party that's going on, and a very fancy BMW i8 concept car rolls up, and uh, out comes Tom. <laughs> and he looks so tiny. <laughs> he does. <laughs> Like the car dwarfs him. It looks like a wee man. <laughs> a wee man. Just a wee man getting out of a large car. <laughs> That's right. It's a wee man. And then, uh, and then out comes Jane and yeah, <laughs> smoke show. That's undress. Uh, <laughs> indeed, indeed. And and I did like Tom did a good bit of acting as she gets out the car and he's noticeably like stunned at how good she looks. Right. Like, oh oh. You you clean up very very well, well miss. Hello, <laughs> hello. So so then we get this uh, this wide shot of this lavish party, and there's dancers and fountains, and then out the opposite corner we see Brant kind of sneak his way in. Um, then we see Benji arriving in some sort of elevator shaft slash uh, maintenance closet or something, right. where all the breakers are, or what have you. And then we get a glimpse of Brijnath. In a white dinner jacket, no less. <laughs> you know, <laughs> perfect for a a billionaire playboy guy right. who's 
who basically wants to be James Bond. Right. <laughs> uh, and then I, I also found it very fitting that Jane's code name is Venus right. in this. Oh, we had Saturn and Pluto. Yes, I, I think that's what it was. And oh, that's what it was. Because Benji's like, why do I have to be Pluto? <laughs> and then Brant's like, well, you could have been Uranus. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny because you said anus. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, so we see Brishnath in the white dinner jacket, and then Jane gulps down an entire glass of champagne to sort of prep herself. Because right. what's kind of cool is that I do appreciate the fact that her character is not used to being the like a seductor, yeah, 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 the yeah. femme fatale or anything. She's used to being kind of a badass. Yeah, she's the Ethan Hunt of her operation. Exactly, and so... It was kind of cool that they played it that way and that this is not her archetype. You know, right. she she has to, you know, have a very stiff drink and and just sort of prepare herself for trying to be this totally different person than she actually is. Right. So she makes sure she's seen by uh, Mr. Nath uh, and does it very well eating a strawberry and the most uh-huh. seductive way I maybe have ever seen done. Strawberry eaten? Yeah, perhaps. He definitely notices. Oh, that's the other thing about when Brant and Benji kind of find their way. It's like, how do they know exactly where to go? Like, this is, again, one of those things where I'm like, oh, so they have the entire technical readouts of this battle station. They absolutely do. So apparently some Bothan spies hooked them up with the entire floor plan of this palace. (laughs) So Brant knows exactly where the computer array is. Well, uh, Benji they, knows exactly where he should be set up. I mean, they so had that, to. They had to know that their server room had a fan that they could use the Magna thing I, for. I so, guess so. So the fog must have hooked them up with that as well. Oh, maybe the fog so, The fog doth provide. He's, he's a Bothan. <laughs> he's not a Russian. He's a Bothan. That's right. So Bridge makes his introduction to Jane. And the actor, Anil Kapoor, plays him just the right level of douche. Mm-hmm. Like, just so like, hello. Are you impressed yet? Oh, that's what it was. Because he makes it very well known right in front of Jane. He's like, he's like, at this time, I want everyone having a glass of Dom Perignon in the, in their hands, so we can all so we can all toast together or whatever. And then he sort of rolls his head over to her and he's like, "Are you impressed yet? Look at how much money I have. I am <laughs> he's, awesome." <laughs> he's basically <laughs> trying to pepula pew her. Yeah, it's really silly, but kind of perfect for the role. Yes. And then on top of it, then this waiter person comes over with a tray filled with cell phones. (laughs) He picks one up that's apparently ringing for him or waiting for him. And he sort of sighs in annoyance and he starts fiddling with that. So in the meantime, we cut to Benji, who is now navigating the rover under the fan and into position for Brant. And I did find this. This is another set. That looked a little cheap. Yeah, too. it, it looked, really did. It looked a little Black Bart's cave to me. Right. <laughs> so anyway, so Brant gets a look down the computer array, <laughs> and he's he's having second thoughts again. And I love, I love, love, love when he starts stretching. Yes. And just sort of delaying, the unbuttoning in- the shirt, getting the cuffs undone. <laughs> yeah, takes the jacket off, just trying to. Okay, one and a two. <laughs> like, and in the meantime, they're on the comms and Ethan's just like, jump. Anyway, we cut back to Jane and Bridge and Jane is keeping up the hard to get act, but is now legitimately annoyed because Bridge is still playing on this phone and she just clearly is uncomfortable in this role. She just right. wants to get him somewhere private, take the codes and get out of there. Right. So, you know, in the meantime, you can hear in 
her calm, Ethan's like, be Venus, be Venus, be Venus. <laughs> and then finally, after much coaxing from Ethan, Brant finally jumps. But then when he's finally, when his fall is, is broken by the by him actually being legitimately caught, he like yells out and Jane freaks out and grabs Breach's hand like really hard. And Breach is like, what? <laughs> what is all this mm-hmm. about? Um, so he walks away because he's sort of like, I don't, I don't know what's wrong with this girl. I'm out of here. Right. So and then Jane's frustrated because he, she feels like she screwed up again. And then. Uh, Ethan's trying to, you know, let her know it's fine. We can, we can still do this. And and then that's when he comes over to her and he's like, okay, I'm, we're just, we're just playing these roles. Don't hit me. And then he kisses her <laughs> and then she's affected by the kiss, which oh, I mean, it's Tom Cruise. So you would be affected by a kiss I would from be Tom affected Cruise. by, a, by a kiss from Tom Cruise. So, but of course, literally, as soon as they're done kissing, this weight person immediately rolls over with a, with a phone ringing for her so she has to pick it up and um and of course on the other end it's Breeze inviting her to look at his art collection and then uh wants to play this like silly little hide and seek game at the party it's like so just kitty i don't know it's <laughs> anyway yeah it's it's kind of the right move for that guy that character anyway <laughs> um <laughs> so ethan walks away and then we get a shot of uh, Sidorov letting us know that he's there as well because clearly he was tipped off and is looking for Ethan. And this is right about when we start getting a lot of heavy intercutting back and forth between the different parts of the team and what have you. Uh, Benji navigating Brant towards the room and it's very hot <laughs> and they're making that very apparent. It's very hot, very hot. <laughs> it's, Don't it's, touch it, little mini me. It's, it's very hot. It's very hot. Um, and then we get a cut to Hendrickson Wistrom who are now headed uh, down the road to wherever they intend to go. And then it cuts again back to Jane, who's listening to Breeze try and woo her. Right. And then <laughs> and Ethan's like rolling his eyes as he's listening to this shit. And he lets her know where he went. He's like, it's it's at your eight o'clock. It's at your eight o'clock. Just, just, <laughs> just go. Right. <laughs> so anyway, meanwhile, poor Brant is just like, ah like just banging back and forth between little you know because it's not a perfect system he's sweating it's it's broken like everything else exactly so jane has to act in the meantime we're back to jane and she has to act like she's like you know super game to all this dumb shit and then talking about his art collection and meanwhile brant finally arrives at the relay room and he switches out these little control cards so now benji is able to see the satellite on his computer, but he just can't reprogram it because he doesn't have the code yet. Right. So, or actually it's a uh, Brant that has to manually punch it in. That's right. Then we cut back to Hendrix and Wistrom again. Now they're entering a building with them, of course, immediately killing the security guards. And again, we cut back to Brant who is literally just kind of frying while he's hovering there waiting for the codes that Jane's supposed to get. So now they're in the hallway and she's still trying to channel her inner Venus. But at this point, it's almost becoming dominatrixy. Right. Because he slides his hand down down and tries to touch the small of her back. And then she he she disarms him. Right. Like twists his arm around and stuff like that. And then and then he she sort of corrects herself and just sort of gently lets go. And then he's like, oh, he's sort of like uh-huh. now he's starting to get into it. And then he's she slaps his face and like just sort of. Walks away listlessly. Yes. Just <laughs> so this is what's going to get him what I want. Yeah. Exactly. What I want from him. Exactly. So then we cut back to where uh, Hendrix and Wistrom are, and they are essentially 
reprogramming the satellite already. You know, finally Jane is in the in this bedroom with with Bridge, but and and she quickly puts him in a headlock and gets the code out of him, but they're too late. So now they're now they're going to be chasing the clock in a different way. So they essentially have to triangulate now where Hendrix is and go after him. So the only thing that they really achieve by getting this code is the ability to triangulate where they are. And it's funny that this is sort of this Mission Impossible's MO is like, this team fails over and over and over again, and they're constantly chasing the new target. Right. Well, you know, it's almost like, because when you watch a lot of spy movies, things tend to fall into place really easy, particularly towards the end. Right. So that you can get to whatever the big set piece is for Bond or whomever to save the world. And it, and it feels like Bird's whole emphasis with this movie was, how do things would things like this actually happen in the real world? Right. He was trying to sort of break all of those, those conveniences that right. would normally happen. The in tech life. isn't helping any. You have to work around the tech. Right. The, the mission time frames fails. are unrealistic, so you have to constantly keep updating what the mission is. Right. Until you have nothing left. Right. Or you succeed, whichever comes first. Right. And so, and, and they just keep doing that all the way until the end of this movie, which I think is actually... I like it. If it had been less done less successfully, it would have gotten very tedious. Yeah. Because this it's very easy to go from, I get it, to, oh, I get it. <laughs> yeah, I know. If they would have had one more after the, after the garage, mm-hmm. I would have been out. <laughs> I would have been too exhausted to keep going after that. Exactly. So then after Jane gets the code, she tranks Bridge and Benji helps Brant get out of the relay room and up to safety, which does prove to be a bit crazy because he's he's sort of close to where he needs to get out. Right. But he can't quite get out. And then the I think the that's what it is. Part of it is, is that the fans come back on. Mm-hmm. And, and it's so, blowing him down. Yeah. So then he does like a skydiving move that lets him go down further. But yeah, no, no. The, the fan is actually pushing him up higher yeah, than he needs to be. Right. And so that's what he did. He, 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 he does a tuck. He does a tuck and then like he spreads out and then it blows him way up. And then he, the funny thing about that is that's right when the magnets in his vest are pulling the little rover thing through the fan right. and chops chops up the entire little rover and all these pieces are flying at Brant and right. then he has to ricochet himself back out of that. Yeah, because he literally does a, he does a up, push, bounce, drop, tumble. Yeah, <laughs> that's fun. Um, <laughs> it was like five more things that I needed, but it's entertaining. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> and then so of course we get this great line too. Brant? <sighs> Next time, I get to seduce the rich guy. Fun fact, this is a uh, Christopher McQuarrie line that added to that. <laughs> you know, it's funny. Every time Renner would fire off some sort of smart-ass remark, mm-hmm. 100% Hawkeye. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Every time I was like, oh, that's a Barton. That's a Barton. You just got Barton, son. <laughs> you just got Bartoned. <laughs> Welcome back to You Just Got Barton. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be uh, Jeremy Renner's new uh, Disney Plus TV show when he finally on the mend. Bartoned. Yeah, instead of, you know, punked, it's going to be, you got Barton. <laughs> so in the meantime, uh, Ethan realizes that Sidorov is in pursuit, but he sort of acknowledges him, um, which is kind of on purpose because he wants Sidorov to find Hendrix as well Absolutely. at this point. So Ethan takes off in the BMW while Hendrix 
is instructing Wistrom to enter the codes and arrange to send an order to a Russian nuclear sub to fire a nuke. From there, he sort of believes that that'll bring retaliation and start the nuclear war that he wants, which eh, maybe, probably, well... Who knows? One missile does not a war make. No, no. You'd need like five or ten. Yeah. and I I don't know how many codes he had, but... Well, I feel like he had a lot of... There was a lot of codes on that paperwork that he had. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like, personally, if you're the Russian submarine captain, they want us to launch (laughs) one missile... One nuke? Yeah, it's, it's only one missile. Wait, San Francisco? What is happening here? This is crazy. Don't want... Yeah. Why are we not launching uh, all of the missiles? We have lots of missiles. Very suspect. Here. This is yeah. a very suspect Yeah, moment. absolutely. And I'm, we didn't even ask us to do one ping, Mr. Vasily. <laughs> one ping only. And then we cut back to Ethan and Jane in the car with Jane using the sort of minority report slash quantum of solace screen. Tar- on the Stark win- Tech. Yeah, Stark Tech to uh, uh, help navigate quicker inside this very fancy I-8 concept car that it wasn't even a real car at the time. No, it did eventually become one. It did, yes. But not at that point. Yeah. We then hear that the launch has been initiated and Benji tells Ethan that they're at three minutes and counting now. So they now have three minutes to get to this building and... Stop everything, which is looking more and more difficult because they're they're going through traffic and it's it's very busy. And just an aside, I think it's really funny how <laughs> Jane is in the middle of changing her clothes in this car. Yep, and she's basically half naked and nothing from Ethan. Ethan's just just <laughs> he's got to drive the car, man. I mean, he's got to drive the car. He's on a very strict mission. He's got three minutes to get there. Happily married. Happily. <laughs> Happily married to Julia. Granted, he never gets to see her, but at least he knows she's alive. So, you know, anyway. It's so, plausible. It's, What's not plausible is her changing in that car. Yeah. Into yeah. what she ended up getting out of that car with. Right. So maybe he just took a small peek. Who knows? <laughs> you know, even even Happy Hogan was checking out Natasha in the back of the car in Iron Man 2. That's right. So anyway, it turns out they're too late and the uh, sub has already fired the missile. Always uh, too late. Always too late. Um, how do we feel about this missile? Okay. The CGI missile. Okay. So <laughs> I, I probably could save this till the very end, but I'm sure we're all aware that there wouldn't be a ghost protocol or a sequel Rogue Nation to this movie if we weren't successful at the end. But right. that missile was the most ridiculous fucking thing in the movie, <laughs> with the exception of the very bad sandstorm CGI. <laughs> and here's what I'm going to tell So, I'm, So I don't interrupt this, this narrative run we're about to make. First of all, that's not how multiple impact reentry vehicle missiles work. <laughs> they do. They are ballistic missiles. They do go up and they come back down. But they don't land in the city they're going to blow up. Nukes do not hit the ground to explode. They explode, explode in the over air. in the air. And if this is, I guess it could have been just a straight-up cruise missile and only had one warhead. But most nuclear missiles have multiple independent targeting vehicles in them. And they go and they drop lots of warheads Ah. out of the one big missile, which will all blow up. There we go. Also, not done yet. (laughs) If that missile was deactivated and ran into the Transamerica building, it wouldn't bounce off and knock a chunk out of the building. It would blow up, wouldn't it? Would, it? it should with the rocket fuel and the explosives. Granted, they're not big explosives to start the reaction, but the rocket fuel alone probably would have exploded into the top of that building and set it on fire. So when I saw that, I'm like, <laughs> bullshit. <laughs> bullshit. Bullshit. That much shit? Tons of bullshit. Well, anyway. <laughs> so 
Ethan is already thinking about redirecting the missile using Hendrix's uh, launch case. So they keep heading for Hendrix, who, speaking of which, is now walking out of the building muttering, May there be peace on Earth, which is, okay, not a good line. Not a good line. (laughs) They're all the time trying to make him look like this crazy maniac, and he's sort of like reserved himself. Let the missiles fly. (laughs) may there be peace on earth and it's like eh, okay Uh sure anyway so just then ethan and jane pull up and jane heads after wistrom to stop him from completely unhooking all these wires and what have you that are up in the building so that breaks into a like a gunfight and jane is shot in the side although she doesn't notice it right away um stuff for how do you not notice you've been shot don't you hate that trope (laughs) in movies it is kind of silly how how suddenly she's like, oh, I've been shot. It's like, no, you're going to know as soon you're, as that you're gonna thing goes. know that happened. As soon as that thing goes through your body. Uh-huh. <laughs> anyway, uh, Wister makes a break for the main power breaker in the building. And at that point, Benji and Brant arrive with uh, Benji trying to sort of rehook up the wiring. And Brant tells Jane just to sort of keep watch. And, he, and then he goes after Wistrom. Meanwhile, Ethan is chasing after Hendrix who is headed for this the the spiral car garage thingy which again again Hendrix outruns him yeah, impossible impossible <laughs> uh, get it <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because you said impossible <laughs> anyway okay um so yeah the big spiral car garage thingy and there's a helicopter coming to pick him up at the top but i will say this this is again another scene that i'm gonna gush over this scene this fight scene inside the car garage is so well choreographed yes it's it's like a uh uh what are those those things where the ball rolls to hit the thing that to, to push the thing over to oh a rube goldberg machine. It, it's like yeah. a giant rube goldberg machine yep that's what this feels like, this this whole scene. So you've got Ethan fighting Hendrix for the case in this crazy car garage that moves the cars around using these three different platforms attached to these giant robotic platform things. Mm-hmm. And then we see Ethan jump what looks to be a solid 20 feet down to one of the cars, into one of the cars, but then he somehow misses... Uh-huh. Like and his legs slip off the side and he's like holding on for dear life to to this car or whatever. Anyway, somehow Hendrix then knocks Ethan onto a different platform with the case and then eventually gets there to to take it back from him. And then this all turns into yet another just sort of stand-up fight with this car behind Ethan and the car is slowly rolling towards him and Hendrix kicks him in the inside of the knee and like mm-hmm. really fucks up his knee like and here's another little fun fact Brad Bird actually initially wanted Ethan to have his leg broken right there and have it a much more gruesome but Tom Cruise actually like sort of dissuaded him from doing that from because he didn't want to have a cast in the final scene of the movie. Well, yeah. Plus, I mean, from his own standpoint, yeah, the the fighting he has to do is infinitely more difficult if he can't use both of his legs. Right, right. So, and then, you know, Ethan sort of answers back by uh, twisting the guy's shoulder and kind of like, you, you hear like a crunch noise. Mm-hmm. To, to, so now they're both really screwed up. 
and they're climbing over cars and trying to get the case. The case is very slippery. Yeah. Very slippery case. Did you notice that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like the, it's like they lubed it up with like a, <laughs> like a missile oil or something. I don't know. Yeah. So at one point, Hendrix knocks it down what looks to be a good seven to eight stories before it lands on this platform that's now coming back up towards them. Right. Ethan starts hobbling over to where the platform is headed and Hendrix chases after and we cut to Brant, who's at the main power switch, um, but then hiding behind the door is Wistrom. Which, dude, check your six. Like, how would he... Come on. He's he's a trained security exactly. guy. He exactly. would have looked behind that door. That's what I'm saying. Anyway. So, that fight begins, but then we cut back. Somehow or another, Hendrix has, has reclaimed the briefcase, and he's at the ledge, and Ethan's ready to start fighting him again. And then, basically, uh, Hendrix just... Uh, essentially kills himself or or is willing to kill himself because he launches himself off the end of this platform essentially to his death but keeping the briefcase away from Ethan because he knows it's so far down that it's going to be really hard yeah to, to get, get to get to the case before the missile hits its target right exactly you got to admire the commitment <laughs> that's that's some serious well i mean he's crazy he's right. a crazy person so then oh boy <laughs> this is another one that's hard to that's hard to reckon with but uh <laughs> reckon get it mm. <laughs> anyway it's um, funny because you said reckon <laughs> <laughs> anyway so ethan gets in a car and he straps in and he drives off the platform nose diving arguably a hundred meters or so to the bottom of the car holder i don't think it was a hundred meters that wasn't 300 feet you don't think so no no All he right. was if, if 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 he was seven stories up that only would have been about 70 feet down okay well still but i did i'm i only went off 100 meters because that's what uh benji says at the very end of the movie does he really <laughs> yeah <laughs> i don't feel like that was 100 meters i don't that, feel i don't 300 I don't. feet doesn't seem yeah. Like that was that that was that far. That that's three football fields. That's yeah. That's or that's no, not, that's one football field. Sorry, that's still very high. Yeah. That that seems yeah, too much. Yeah, no, no, that no. seems excessive. Okay, but either case, regardless, it far. And I mean, it's it's a beamer. Maybe a Volvo. He might have survived. Well, no, because if you think about it, that would have been the. He probably wasn't even traveling thirty miles an hour when he hit the ground. You think so? It's just like a frontal impact. Okay. I mean, any of the, any car that was built in 2011 would have been able to stand Save head him. on right. at 50 miles an hour. He would have still been able to walk out of the door. All right, dazed. <laughs> well, he seemed dazed when he got yeah. out. So, so I mean, it's because if you think about it, the fall is just the same thing as regular acceleration, right? right. You know, you're just going the wrong angle. Right. But, you know, it's just like running into a wall if you were driving the car. At X amount of miles an hour. Okay. So I buy it. It, it. That was, if there was anything that I could call plausible in this movie. He was, ac- this was actually this plausible. Was, this was plausible. All right, fine. Fair enough. So now we come back to the other building and uh, Benji realizes that Brant's been gone too long. So he gives instructions to Jane, like, okay, when the power comes back up, plug these things in. So, and this is when we get sort of Benji's final, his character arc has finally... Yeah, he's, know, he's reached the pinnacle of where he needs to be to get to the next level. Yeah, so he's no longer that sort of new, green, foolish, uh, new agent. He's now... Right. He, he ate the mushroom and now he's he's big Benji. <laughs> he's big Benji With the now. tanuki hat and the tail. <laughs> that's right, that's right. So he shoots uh, Wistrom so that Brant can hit the power and then Jane can plug, plug in the thingies and then Ethan can... 
do his funny thing where he says, Mission accomplished. <laughs> yes. And then, of course, it doesn't work the first time. <laughs> and you see Hendrix almost dead, but not entirely that, dead. Which is hilarious. He's all <laughs> in one eye. <laughs> yeah, just looking over. Is he going to actually do it? Right. And then he finally does hit the abort button. It actually works. And, of course, just then Sidorov arrives and realizes what's going on. And we get that funny little... A moment where he can't, he, he's so messed up that he can't say anything. Yeah, crows can't talk. <laughs> so I was like, so we are actually friends. Nod. Nod. <laughs> yeah. yeah and, and, and we are working on the same thing the whole time. Nod. Nod. <laughs> Would you like me to take you to the hospital? Nod. <laughs> nice touch there. Mm-hmm. So finally, after all this, we cut to uh, Seattle with appropriately sized titling telling us we're in Seattle. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> in uh, a font that maybe some people may disagree. In a questionable font <laughs> by people who don't even know what questioning a font really means. Right, exactly. Seattle. So <laughs> It's at night and it's by apparently Pier 47 because there's a huge actual physical sign in the scene that says Pier 47, wherever that is. So we overhear on the news the uh, the bullshit story that's used to cover up the fact that the missile hit this building and then lands in the sea, which we all know Jason has a huge problem with, which I understand. Capital B-U-L-L-S-H-I-T exclamation point. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Ethan is having a beer with Luther. Luther! <laughs> Luther brought the meat. Yay! He did. He did. And I love how they, how he's like, You actually said that out loud. Mission accomplished. I said it. I'm still corny, Ethan. It's a great way to open in on that. On it that totally is. Just because it, it, immediately creates that sense of familiarity between the two characters. Like these guys have known each other forever. And if if anybody's going to give them shit for saying something corny, it's going to be Luther. Right. Yeah. It's, it's really perfect. I also like the fact, uh, I did pick this up. I did notice this, that Luther has lapped Ethan in his, uh, the number of Dos that he, uh, knocked down. Yeah. And then later he's like, it's like, I don't know how I got this. Like, yeah, I know you do. <laughs> then walks off. Yeah. So, yeah, Ethan introduces the team to Luther, and then uh, Luther puts on a, a kind of a mean face because he's he's like, yeah, because you clowns, I was at the bottom of the bay cleaning up the mess. You right. Know, whatever. Which is funny, too, that they alluded to the fact that he was, again, underwater because they've now created this history of Luther being doing scuba work. Right. <laughs> so, Apparently, he was picking up nuke parts. Uh, but anyway, at that point, Luther leaves after Ethan is paying the bill. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the uh, the gang, they have their little wrap-up with Ethan, uh, handing out phones to each of them. If you choose to accept this mission, yada, yada, yada. Um, and then, of course, Brant stays behind, sort of. And then he kind of gets up and, and, you know, just sort of leaves the phone there. And then... Ethan basically makes him sit back down or whatever, and they they sort of chat. And, you know, we get the whole thing about Ethan's wife and and just sort of the fact that all is sort of forgiven. And and Brant finds out he's all relieved knowing that the whole thing was, you know, sort of staged. Yeah, just to set up the... Because we see Julia coming with somebody from the hospital. Right. uh, Just walking over there. And, you know, Tom Cruise is looking. Jerry Renner, Renner looks and sees and... Realizes what's going on, and then right. you know Ethan gives him the whole explanation of why everything had to happen. 
And I wonder, like, why they set this up. Was it a, a situation where they couldn't get Michelle Monaghan to be in the entire movie? Whether they just didn't want to focus on that aspect of Ethan, if they wanted to keep that going for the next movie? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's like, it's kind of interesting that this is the route that they chose to go with all that. Yeah, I, I think, I think that the, that, or maybe they just needed something, they needed to give Renner something to chew on. I think that was part of it. I think maybe Michelle Monaghan maybe wasn't wanting to be in it. Yeah. Honestly, if you had tried to slow this, you would have had to put in a scene where he's like, well, I'm back at it again. Right. And she would have had to tolerate it. And, and all the other, even yeah. though she'd already gone through everything in three, at least they didn't turn her into a spy like at the end of True Lies. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think it, I think that it was it was a good decision. She gets to go live her life. She gets to do what she wants. Yeah. I'm guessing it every so often she gets to ride the cruise train when uh, he's in Seattle <laughs> or whatnot. And then they go off again. But uh, it works so much better than trying to shoehorn Ethan being in a relationship. Right. And I, I, I have to think maybe Cruz liked the idea of keeping Ethan grounded that way. Of, of still being married and yeah, whatnot. And instead, having, instead of just getting rid of her completely. Right. Because it, it is a key difference between Ethan Hunt and James, and James Bond. Bond. Yeah. That he has somebody at home that he cares about that he may not be able to be involved with because of what he does. But he's still loyal and true and honest right. to that person. He's not Doesn't like a murderer. Sleep he's, through everybody. He's not a murderous sociopath. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so yeah, all is all is forgiven, and uh, you know, Brant sort of sighs, you know, relief, and it's it's a good scene. It's a it good is a good moment. scene. It was certainly more effective than his boohoo, I let her die scene. Yes, because it it had the bre- it could breathe. Yeah, because there was nothing impending afterwards, and you're coming down off of. The, the car crash jumble vending machine thing. Right. And and the fact that you've got you had the comedic moment right before it with Luther to sort of loosen you up and right. prep you for what you're about to you see. Yeah, in fact, you know, we were talking earlier about where that scene would have been better placed. Uh-huh. It would have been better placed right here at the end of the movie. Yeah. Like you come up with Renner coming up with some bull I used to be security service detail, blah, blah, blah. You could have waited the whole the movie. The whole thing. You could have easily explained it off. That he was security, so yeah, he's his head analyst. But because he was the secretary, his head analyst also had to have some serious security skills because he went everywhere. This is perfect, <laughs> Chris. If you're listening, take notes. Um, and then at the end, he's like, "Ethan, I, you handed me this phone, but there's something you need to know." Right. And then he goes through the whole thing there, and he's like, "Oh yeah, take a look over there." Yeah. Oh, I'm like, ah. dun, dun, dun. Yeah. So I, we solved the problem, Ben. Why aren't we writing these movies? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. They at least should give a script approval. Instead, we've got a silly podcast that, that picks on other people's that, movies. That, that picks on other people's movies forensically. Exactly. So, anyway. But not scholarly. Not scholarly Thank at all. God, not um, scholarly. Anyway, let me just get this. We're almost there. We're, we're so close. So, and then. Then, uh, you know, we get this final little shared glimpse at each other between Ethan and Julia before Ethan, uh, you know, puts on his headphones and his, and his hood. And, and off he your, goes. Your mission, should, should you choose to accept it, the syndicate. And then uh, he disappears in the smoke and uh, roll the theme music. I do like the fact that they did have them making eye contact with each other. I did too. It wasn't sort of an, oh, poor Ethan. They're like, well... And this is another thing that I heard, you know, in an interview with Brad Bird is that 
he they specifically chose to make sure that they saw each other, not just have Tom see her from afar. Because then there is that boo-hoo thing. Mm-hmm. But if it's like a, a both, they just sort of acknowledge each other. Right. And she's smiling. She's not giving him like a motherfucker look on her face. Right. It's just sort of an acknowledgement. They I know you're there. Yeah. and then I love you, you too. Right. And then you just go on and yeah. it's happy. And I do also like the fact that they, even though Macquarie didn't have to like go into the whole thing with the with the syndicate in Rogue Nation, they just choose chose to ran with it. I mean, granted, the syndicate was the bad guy in the TV show, right? So it was a perfect way to end it because you know, even if they didn't roll with that, that's who they normally go after, right? Anyway, it would just by saying we're going after Thrush or right. Spectre or whatever, exactly, yeah, exactly. So, and that, my friends. My tens of listeners <laughs> is the end of Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol Part Two. You know, honestly, final thoughts. I I still love this movie. I will say, going through it, I, I see a few more of the plot holes, a couple mm-hmm. a couple of the errors, like the things that make it a not perfect movie. And there are very few perfect movies out there anyway. Oh, absolutely, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Um, <laughs> but I mean, I. I love this movie. It is still, I still maintain this is my favorite. Although, you know, every once in a while, I, I kind of wonder if like Rogue or Fallout will eventually, you know, steal that that spot. I don't know. Right. Well, and like I've said for me in the past, um, every one of these is my favorite because I, I like them all better since I can't remember any of them. Um, <laughs> although admittedly three was not. I still liked two better than three. Um, well, actually, three better than two rather the other way around. Right. Uh, but I... Out of the four that I have watched and am currently able to remember, um, <laughs> I do like this one the best. And I do remember <clears throat> specifically watching this one in the theater, remembering Jeremy Renner, Jeremy Renner was in it, remembering that I liked him in it, mm-hmm. that I liked the Ethan Hunt character because he felt more accessible as a character in this one yeah. compared to the first three. Um, I do like, I, I it for some reason, it makes me think of that moment when they're in the Burj and Benji is explaining the gloves. Like, it, like for me, that is the quintessential moment why Ethan is so more, so much more relatable in this movie is he's overwhelmed with all this crap that he, right. that is on his shoulders to try and do this like ridiculous thing. He has to climb on this, the biggest building in the world. Right. And, and the previous three movies, he seemed a lot less put off, put out by having to do that stuff. Right. Now now it's like, oh, he's reacting to this as a human. Right. Like, he's still going to do it, but it's like, you know, you He's get... thinking about those consequences when he does it. <laughs> right. Exactly. So it's more endearing. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it was, an, I think, an important change for the series, because if you continue just being James Bond, eventually we're going to catch up to a superior James Bond. Right. <laughs> who was actually acting and putting some character development into things. Right. And Mission Impossible could very quickly have become the old James Bond movies, which have a place in the world. Right. But when Ethan Hunt is number two in Who's Your Favorite Movie Spy to James Bond, uh-huh. you want to be at an equal level at different places so that you're both filling a niche. Right. So if you go against each other on the same opening weekend, which will never happen again in the history no, of opening weekends. Never. But even if you're going together in the same month, right? Mm-hmm. Some people are going to choose Ethan and some people are going to choose James, right? Mm-hmm. There's a camp there rather than going, yeah, I'll just wait for a mission to come out on cable or DVD right. or streaming. I'm going to go see Jamie Boy, right? So, right, right. I think... This movie is for me is one 
Ilsa Faust away from being perfect. Don't get me wrong. I do think that I do think that Paula Patton was great as Jane. Absolutely. And I wouldn't have minded if they had brought her back for for Rogue. But I do think that Ilsa is the perfect counterpoint to Ethan. Yes. In in Rogue. And but again, Ghost Protocol and Rogue Nation are two entirely different animals. Oh yeah. Uh, just so much, especially with Brad Bird at the helm on this one. Mm-hmm. This one is just pure popcorn. It is a, it is kind of a cartoon come to life. It, it is, is. It's, but it's a really well-made cartoon. Absolutely, that is super fun and cleverly written. And Benji is just great in it. <laughs> and so I, I mean, it's it's tops for me. He's gu- he's gushing, folks. He's I'm, gushing. I'm gushing. I'm gushing. I'll stop. That's all right. <laughs> it's good. It's good that you like it and you got to do something you like. You never get to do movies you like on this podcast. Never. <laughs> I'm the one who's always insisting we do things. <laughs> but uh, what do you think of the movie, listeners? Did you like it? Did you not like it? Indeed, indeed. You should uh, let us know because we are always looking for listener interaction to tell us how you like the movie, the podcast, or anything in between. So uh, let us know at our email. It's uh, cicdeaddrop at gmail.com. On Instagram, it's uh, Central Intelligence Cinema separated by underscores. Or on Twitter, at CIC SpyPod. Let us know. Jason, what did you, any any final thoughts? Uh, you know, um, it's a good movie. We like it. Talk to us. Let us know if you liked it. Give us a review if you want to give us a review. We like it when you give a review, but we're not going to be. That would be interesting. If we got a review from a listener. A, a, a review from a listener? Oh, no, 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 no. Not that kind of review. I mean, a five-star review oh, of the glowing variety. Oh, those. Yes, we do like those too. Yeah, those we, don't are... want, we don't want your reviews because that's our job. We don't <laughs> need you muscling in our thing. <laughs> right. no, no. Glowing five-star review. Ah, uh, those are nice. We're just going to leave it at those. that instead of beating you over the head with it. Um, but, you know, you feel like the need, yeah. go forth. If you want to show us some love, we'd love it. I mean, it's going to let us show up uh, quicker when people search for inane stuff like us. Silly spy shit. Silly spy shit. Hashtag. Silly spy shit. That's right. Can't forget the hashtag. Silly spy shit. But uh, any any final? Nope. All right. Look, looking forward, continuing down that road. Indeed, the road to reckoning the continues. Road to reckoning. All right. Well, with that, I'm Ben and I'm Jason, and the CIC will return with more missions, more martinis, and more masks. Yeah. yeah.